Chapter 1 January 4th, 3 a.m., one of those times when this chosen profession made its harshest demands. The call was from the emergency room, and Josh Crabtree was in trouble again. This pathetic soul was in need. His new heart valve, just put in five weeks ago, showed signs of trouble one week after implantation. Jeffrey Reichert, the cardiac surgeon, had called in Dr. Gilson mercifully early this time, and together they figured they could buy time with medical management. Time seemed to have just run out. The ER doctor was not one to panic, but his voice this time had that special urgency which signaled a disaster in the works. Josh Crabtree's here. His parents brought him in saying he passed out at home. He's breathing about 50 per minute, gasping. His temp's 38.3. His heart rate's 160 and irregular with the new atrial fib. He's got rails all the way up. Chest x-ray shows pretty clear-cut pulmonary edema, and his PO2's only 48 with O2 running at 50% by mask. It really doesn't look good. Robert Gilson, M.D., board-certified cardiologist, university-trained and hardened, fought back a lump in his throat. It's not supposed to happen this way, he thought, but shook his head clear enough to ask, What have you done so far? As Jerry Beasley, the ER doctor, filled him in on the initial treatment given and provided more details about the circumstances of Josh's presentation to the hospital emergency room, Dr. Gilson tried to clear the fog of sleep from his head. With enough information to know that the treatment was so far appropriate, and that the right diagnostic tests were done or underway, he could begin to plan some rudimentary strategy for tonight. Have you notified Dr. Reichert yet? He'll need to know we've got trouble brewing. He's out of town, but I got a hold of his fellow. He said he'd be right down, but to go ahead and get a hold of you. Yeah, that's right. Jeff told me he was going to be in New Orleans this week. Who's the surgeon covering? Hold on, I'll check. It's Gresham. You want me to get a hold of her? Do that, but don't waste time. You keep the kid alive till I get there. Dr. Beasley paused only a few seconds. Okay, will do. But if you looked outside, you'd be careful driving down here. Right. See you shortly. He hung up the phone and reflexively turned over and kissed his wife, warm and soft, oblivious. Hon, I've got to go in. Mm, be careful, she said without coming to consciousness. As he dressed... Bob Gilson had time to try keeping his mind awake, reacting and planning, and going over Joshua Crabtree's singular history. This kid of 28 never seemed to have gotten a dose of good luck in his life. Somehow, though, there never seemed a trace of bitterness or envy in any of his encounters with this shy, sweet, feeble, and mentally retarded young man. His origins were as mysterious as the medical problems that would plague him in later years. Twenty-eight years ago, an infant of approximately four months of age was brought into the office of a Dr. Yorty, a general practitioner in a small town near Berea, Kentucky. A very young, poor, sandy-haired woman brought the baby into the office, said his name was Josh, and that he was very sickly and wouldn't nurse. As the nurse took the child, the young woman turned and fled, unrecognized and never found. The infant, listless, febrile, and scarlet-red, was desperately ill, needing care that Dr. Yorty was ill-equipped to provide. He was able to arrange transport to facilities in Lexington, where medication and supportive care were given, and to the surprise of all, the baby recovered from his acute illness. As no parents or relatives of any kind could be located, Josh became a ward of the state. Normally, this would mean a life sentence of benevolent incarceration in state institutions, especially for an infant who is clearly not right. Even at that stage of life, though, Josh possessed an inexplicable ability to touch the lives of those caring for him. 
So it happened that Janie Crabtree was touched by this infant's undeniable human need. She couldn't bear the thought of abandoning this child to the willful powers of the state, and it was with sheer determination that she rode over the obstacles in her way to adopt Joshua. Janie and her husband Earl had tried for ten years to have a child of their own, and following her last miscarriage, Janie had finally come to terms with what seemed a rather harsh reality. Then Josh appeared in her life, and she couldn't let go. As the LPN working on pediatrics on the night shift, she had more opportunity than the day or evening nurses to spend time getting to know her charges. Josh's unexpected recovery and lack of any family made him somehow more precious and harder to release. She was not naive and knew fully well that Josh's illness, combined with prior lack of nurturing and likely absent prenatal and perinatal care, had left the baby weak, slow, and in near constant need of attention. Then there were the medical problems.